My mother raised me basically because my dad, who was an evangelist, was away from home two thirds of the year. I mean, my mother ran a, a small business. She taught me how to cut the grass. She helped me with algebra. She taught me everything. There wasn't anything she couldn't do. Therefore, it never entered my mind that what was going on here in the dance of submission and headship was inferiority or competency-based headship. I don't believe in either of those. Welcome to the Crossway Podcast, a show where we sit down with authors each week for thoughtful interviews about the Bible, theology, church history, and the Christian life. I'm Matt Tully, and today I'm talking with John Piper. John is the founder and teacher of DesiringGod.org and the chancellor of Bethlehem College and Seminary. He served for 33 years as the senior pastor of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and is the author of more than 50 books, including Why I Love the Apostle Paul, 30 Reasons. Today, John and I discuss the case for complementarianism. He shares about how his own upbringing and the example of his parents influenced his views on marriage, what a husband's leadership practically looks like day in and day out, and how we should think about complementarianism in the Me Too era. Let's get started. John, thank you for joining me on the Crossway podcast today. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. One doctrinal emphasis that has characterized your ministry over the years and uh, has been quite controversial at times is complementarianism. Was there ever a time in your life that you struggled to understand or accept what you now believe Scripture clearly teaches about men and women's roles in the home and the church? I grew up in a complementarian home. And I admit that. I, I, I know that that disposes me to think that way. And therefore, I need to be careful that I don't read the Bible through a lens. Um, and what I mean by that is, um, and, and this is what's <laughs> a little different than some complementarian homes, is that my mother raised me, basically, because my dad, who was an evangelist, was away from home two-thirds of the year. I, I, I made sure to get that statistic right because I have his, he, he's gone now, and I have his preaching schedule notebooks so that any given year for the years that he kept those notebooks I can uh, look to see how many crusades he was holding and how long they were and how much he was home and two-thirds is is pretty average for him being away which means my mother was raising me most of the time without him and so what I watched and this is this is has colored my complementarianism I think um, what I watched was a woman who as my father came home, rejoiced to have her man home and shifted gears in a most stunning way from running everything and being omnicompetent. I mean, my mother ran a, a small business. She taught me how to cut the grass. She taught me how to paint the gutters. She taught me how to make pancakes that when they bubble around the edge, you flip them over so they don't get juice all over the place. She taught me Everything. She helped me with algebra. My mother was, to me, omnicompetent. There wasn't anything she couldn't do. Therefore, it never entered my mind that what was going on here in the dance of submission and headship when Daddy was home was inferiority or competency-based headship. I don't believe in either of those. I don't think women are inferior when it comes to capacities of guidance, and I don't think um, that um, men are innately more competent 
uh, than women. And, and so somebody might respond, well, why in the world do you say all men should be leaders in their home then if they're incompetent and she's competent? <laughs> now, if a person asks me that question, they are totally out of touch, I think, with reality. <laughs> I mean, that's an awful thing to say. <laughs> it requires a little bit of elaboration. <laughs> yes, let's elaborate. The, 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 the beauty of manhood and womanhood goes so much deeper than competence. By competence, I mean skills to balance a checkbook or read or organize or all kinds of skills that go into certain kinds of leadership. Um, far deeper than that is uh, God-given manhood traits and womanhood traits that are not manifest primarily in competencies, but in a sense of responsibility, a sense of responsibility to take initiative, a sense of responsibility to provide, a sense of responsibility to protect. And I've got little stories I love to tell. I, I had to do this. I mean, you think things are controversial today? In the, in the late 70s, with Virginia Mollencott calling me obscene, nobody calls me obscene in my face today. She did. So th this is not a new thing for me. This is an old war that we've been fighting, and I've had to <laughs> endure some, uh, uh, some lumps. But I have stories that have developed. I used to tell my students, I'll give one, because I really want to get at this, why I'm saying that a man's taking the leadership at home will deep down make a godly woman feel thrilled and glad that he's taking this kind of leadership and will make the man feel like he's doing what God has called him to do. And it's not based on competence. She may be better math person. She may be a better reader. She may be a better logician. And, and she knows, I want this man deep down to step up and take some leadership in this home. So, for example, I'm saying there's a couple at my church, say they just met each other in worship. He's 22, she's 21, say, and, and they like each other. They just tell, they've watched each other from afar, and, and uh, they're standing beside each other in worship this time. And he's thinking, I could ask her to lunch, and she might go. I don't know if she'll go. And he's watching her worship, loving it. She's so engaged, and, and she's feeling the same way about him. So afterwards, he says, oh, got any lunch plans? No? Would you like to go down to Maria's and walk, and we can walk from here? Well, yeah, thanks. So they're walking, finding out who they are and whatnot. And a guy jumps out with a knife. This is my neighborhood, okay? I know this neighborhood <laughs> between my church and Maria's. Now with a knife and threatens them and says, uh, I, I want your wallet and I want her purse. And, and you say, as the guy will, I guess that would be the wise thing to do, hand over the wallet and the purse. So you do. And he says, and I want her. Now, little does he know that she's got a black belt in karate. <laughs> and he can, this woman can take this guy down quick. This guy is not a fighter. And here's my argument. My argument is, 
everything that God has built into him as a man says, you can use your karate later if you want to. I'm stepping between. That's what I do. That's what men do. And if people listen to this podcast and say, that's purely cultural, that's just Piper, that's his home, that's, that's American macho, blah, blah, blah. I just think they're out of touch with reality. I think written on the heart of every man is karate or no karate, my manhood, my God-given manhood, not my macho sinful manhood, but my God-given manhood is compromised if I don't seek to take this guy out for the sake of this woman's life. So what happens is he steps in, the guy cuts him, he knocks him down, and she takes him out. (laughs) Okay, the police come, the ambulance comes, and the guy, I, whoever the guy is, he gets put in the in the ambulance. He's not mortally wounded. This she, isn't a true story. No, by this, the way. I'm making every I'm making every bit of this up to make it work because it's just so real. And so she gets in the in the ambulance with the guy riding down to Hennepin County, and he's conscious, and everything in her says, "This is this kind of matter." He's, he's useless when it comes to taking out knives. But that's the man. That's the kind of man I wear. Mm. So that, that's, that's, a, that's a vignette of what I mean by saying it's not competency-based. Let me give you one other story because this is just so crucial that people understand. There was a couple, this is a real story, okay? This is absolutely true, every sentence of it. I hope if I don't get it wrong. I was doing marital counseling for this couple. He had an eighth grade education. She had a part of college education. She's quite articulate. He is um, a, a, just an average guy, a painter, and uh, they were both Christian, and their marriage is on the rocks again and again. I was rescuing them, and I asked him one time, are they having family devotions? No. And I said, well, I turned to him, let's call him Jim. Uh, I said, Jim, that's your responsibility. Responsibility. You should be taking the initiative to make that happen. She shouldn't have to make it happen. You should make it happen. And he said, oh, I, I, I can't read very well. And she reads really well, and it's just embarrassing. I said, okay, look, this is not something based on ability to read. That's not what we're talking about here, Jim. You got three kids, right? Okay, let me, tell you, let me ask this. Can you say after supper tonight, Hey, kids, come into the living room. Can you say that? Yeah. Okay. Can you say, um, let's call her Jane. Can you say, Jane, let's, let's meet with the kids in the living room and have some devotions tonight. Can you say that? Yes. Okay. When they're all gathered together and sitting there, stunned, <laughs> can, can you say, we're going to have devotions and... Uh, since Mama's a good reader, Mama's going to read a chapter for us, and uh, maybe we should read John together, and then and then I'll pray for us as a family. So, Jane, would you read John? Can you do that? Yeah. Okay, that's leadership. Mm-hmm. Do it. Do it. It's 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 making sure her gifts, which are better than yours, almost on every score, mm-hmm. are used. With your initiative, she wants this. I mean, I'm not making this up. She came to me and said, 
we don't ever read the Bible together. Mm. And that makes me think that the key issue, tell me if this is true to what you would say, really the core issue is initiative. And even how it exactly works itself out might differ depending on the couple and the family. My little way of remembering that is to say, who says let's most often? Let's go out to eat. Let's tithe. Let's talk about the children's discipline. Let's get our finances in order. Let's consider buying a home. Let's, let's, let's. And when I say that, I'm not saying a woman can't say let's. Of course she can say let's. But a woman who has a husband who never says let's at the key points where they need family action with the kids, with the finances, with the spiritual life, he's never saying let's. He's, he's waiting and waiting and waiting. And if anything's going to happen, she's got to get it started. So I, I deeply believe that there are clear pointers in especially Paul, like you pointed out, that men are to assume a, a God-given, holy, humble, Christ-like servant responsibility to initiate or lead and protect and provide. And on every one of those, lead, protect, provide, Given the dynamics of how it actually works out, they will do different kinds of things according to their gifts. Mm. But initiative, mm. you're right, is, is very close to the heart of the matter. It seems like your argument is, is twofold then on that, that front. It's, there's a scriptural component you just, you just referenced. But then getting back to what you were saying before, you would say there is this uh, inherent, there are these inherent qualities or dispositions within men and women that also testify to this being God's plan. Yeah, this is very controversial. Uh, when we were starting the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, goodness, what, 30 years ago, um, there was a person who was part of it and excited to be a part of it. And a few years later, she read s something that I wrote, and she dropped out because she said, I had no idea that's what you thought. And what, what the issue was was she, and I would, I, there are significant complementarians today who, who talk like this. The Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. No connection with nature. That's irrelevant. Mm. Who we are by God-given nature doesn't figure in. That God didn't imprint this truth into us. It's just a, an abstract truth we must conform. He flipped to. a coin. Yeah. He flipped a coin. Oh, heads, men. Could have come up tails. No. That, and I'm saying that is profoundly wrong. Mm. And I've written about wh why it's wrong. I, I think Romans 1, for example, talks about nature, against nature, at the, at the sexual level, that that very principle about nature. And in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, is it, is it not against nature that a man would do so-and-so? So you've got these pointers that nature matters. So for me then, and this is what got this woman's back up, it applies outside marriage. Like, I don't think we should have in America a draft 
that because women and men are the same should be 50-50. That's insane. Fifty percent of the armed forces, Army, Navy, Marines, Air Force, are going to be women, which means half of our combatants on the front line with the guns and the grenades and their bodies being blown to smithereens are going to be our moms. I think that's insane. And I know that would get me crucified in a lot of places, and I'm happy to be crucified for that. But I'm going there, and I can go there in numerous other places. I think women wrestling with men, girls and boys wrestling with each other is, is insane. I mean, there, there are a lot of examples. Now, the reason for this is not because I have a verse. <laughs> the, the verses are trajectories, and they are trajectories that have both an um, expository or explanatory uh, command form and a nature form. And I'm saying the Bible shapes our conception of who we are by nature, and therefore it, it quickens in people who are born again. It quickens our intuition so that we just know a 14-year-old boy and a 14-year-old girl, girl locked in the missionary position as wrestlers is a bad idea. How do you respond to someone who hears that but they can point to maybe countless examples from, from today, from the past. You know, we live in this Me Too era uh, where we see lots of examples of men abusing power, abusing their power over women, uh, taking advantage of women, and sometimes Christians citing scripture in support of that or, or citing you know, maybe some of these types of principles that you're uh, that you, you've explained here. So wh- I guess what word of a d- encouragement or exhortation would you offer to the person who, who is thinking of that, maybe has personally experienced that, and that makes them just wary of the argument you just laid out? Yeah. Oh, I feel so strongly about this. I wrote an article a year or so ago in which I argued egalitarians who think most of what I've been saying here is baloney, um... I think, have sold the store when it comes to one of the main arguments of Scripture that is designed to protect women. Namely, the Bible says, because of your differences, men should feel an unusually God-given special responsibility to protect women. Egalitarians would say, no, no, that's just 50-50. There's not a special calling on a male. Like, they would, they would mock it and say, what, because you have genitals, you have a unique calling to protect? I say, no, it's far deeper than that. That's just naive. So what I mean is this. If, if you are an egalitarian, of course you're going to oppose abuse. Right? And so will I. But their call for non-abuse would be treat each other the same. Like you'd like to be treated. And I'd say amen. That, that's true and that's good. Do unto others as you have them do unto you ought to be enough to stop all abuse. Guess what? It's not. And I think God gave the world another 
antidote to abuse. Namely, men don't do that. Real men don't do that. They protect their women. They die for their women. Matthew 5, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. If you're an egalitarian, you have to let that go by saying it's unique. The woman has the same responsibility toward the man. They're identical. No, they're not identical. There is a new, there, there is a unique responsibility for men, which means that when I stand up in front of a church that may have abusive tendencies in it, I'm going to have another weapon in my artillery besides egalitarian arguments like, hey, all you men and women out there, you really are just alike, which frankly, I think has produced movies that are going to produce abuse. I mean, what do you have? You have women doing everything men do. They kill. They fight. They are arrogant. We, we are portraying in our culture right now a kind of woman training men to treat them as harshly as they treat uh, men. That's what's being done in our movies over and over again. And I watch it and I just say, this is tragic. This is so tragic. And of course, it looks so liberating. Right? It looks so liberating. These women can shoot the way men do. They can punch the way men do. They can, they can swear the way men do. This is liberation, and this will get rid of abuse. It will not. It will not. Oh, when, when you get a man having a woman in his face like that, and he doesn't have Jesus Christ, he's going to knock her down. He's the only, and so Jesus Christ comes in, and he says to a man, not only is she a human being, in my image, and therefore you should love your neighbor as you love yourself, which is what Paul says in Ephesians 5. Love, love her as your own body. But also, manhood treats womanhood better. So when you get a teenage boy who's 14, he's been raised well, and he's told he's going to have to wrestle a girl for the championship, he just quietly says, thank you anyway. And that's manhood talking. <laughs> That's not fear talking. That's manhood saying, I don't do that to women. I don't slam women on the ground. I'm a good fighter man. I would slam her on the ground. I don't do that to women. I feel strongly about this because I go to the Y every Saturday morning and the grappling association is there. It's called grappling. I was stunned. I was absolutely stunned at the sexuality of it. I thought, do they have any idea what's going on in a 14-year-old, 15-year-old boy at this age? Do you have any idea? Mm. So um, here's my answer. If a woman fears abuse because of complementarian teaching, she needs to be clarified what complementarian teaching is. And if there are men in the church justifying abuse by using complementarian arguments, they are not using them. They're abusing mm. the arguments, and that needs to be said from the pulpit and clarified. Mm. I, I think complementarians have the moral high ground here. We're not playing catch-up ball when it comes to abuse. We're not. We have the, we have the moral, historic high ground. We die for women. We don't treat them the same as men. We treat them better. We protect them. We fight for them. We die for them. We do not abuse them. So a man who's abusing a woman is doubly sinful. He's sinful as a human being, and he's sinful as a male, because males don't do that in Christ. 
It's helpful. John, thank you for joining me today on the CrossFit Podcast and for sharing your thoughts on this important topic. Thank you. That was John Piper explaining why he's a complementarian. For more, be sure to check out his book with Crossway, Why I Love the Apostle Paul, 30 Reasons, available online or at your local Christian bookstore. For more interviews like this, subscribe to the Crossway Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review, which helps us spread the word about the show. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the truth of God's word through publishing gospel-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.